Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week's double feature is Hider in the House and Bad Ronald. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. I do like the idea of starting early on the week when Noah's not here. Because <laughs> it's just inherently mean, and that's funny to me. <laughs> The thing that he's always complaining about how tired he gets by the end of the show and the week he's not here, we're like, "Hey, let's let's." I'm I'm a little I'm a little sleepy tonight. Maybe we start a little early. Yeah. I'm just glad we do this over Skype because I have a feeling we could end up with a uh, uh, mass shooter situation. Eventually, we drive him so crazy. He's just like, "Fuck these guys!" Oh, historically, <laughs> all people do is quit. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine why. It's not right. like we don't bend ourselves to help them <laughs> with their <laughs> situations. Uh, I like that you can't keep a straight face for yourself. I'm uh, say that. God. Yeah, I don't talk to Scott in a while. I wonder what he's up to. He seemed like he was really into hanging out again, like recently, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. Yeah, after well, I haven't talked to him since before Christmas there when we recorded. Yeah, me neither. Huh. He told me I'm on the short list of people to be on this podcast, but I think he was just being polite. <laughs> he's never calling you. No. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> maybe the reason he, he hasn't called is because he's hidden away in his house somewhere oh excellent well done yeah. see how I tried so you picked two movies about people hiding in a house yeah so what was what was the thought process for, the, for this week's <laughs> Theme. Um, <laughs> I, I was well, partially. I was just surprised to find out that there were two movies about people hiding in other people's homes and falling in love with one of the people who are legitimately allowed to live in that home. Uh, partly, this is actually true. The story, the idea of the stories, fascinates me because this actually happened, like not too far mm-hmm. from where I live. Yeah, I've heard I've heard multiple cases of this yeah. this thing actually happening. Yeah, so like it because there's a lot of prisons around where I live, 
I mean, it's, I'm not worried about it because they're Canadian prisons, but there was a case when I was a kid of, like, some prisoners got out and, like, they lived in somebody's house for, like, three weeks or something. And they would just come downstairs when the family was gone and take food and shit and then just go back up to the attic and sleep when the family was there. And it was always one of those things that kind of creeped everybody out. Yeah. So... And yeah, other than that, I don't know. I think I think maybe I was trying to put together a Gary Busey month at one week, and it somehow t- turned into this. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, actually the director Darren Lynn Bowsman, who did yeah. some of the Saw movies. Apparently, this happened to him when he was a kid. Oh really? And yeah, he's... Saw movies. That makes sense. To me. <laughs> yeah, he's told the story on like a couple podcasts he's been on, but. Yeah, there was just, you know, there was nothing, I mean, nothing dangerous about it, but I mean, I don't feel like that's anything you ever want to tempt, but he said, you know, there was the usual stuff where like food went missing and, you know, just weird shit around the house that nobody could really explain. And then at some point, somebody found like a thing up in the attic where if you go around this little corner, there was like a sleeping bag and like some like candy bars and shit like somebody had been kind of sleeping there and and his family was freaked out and i don't remember i don't remember if he told if they ever found out like what the full story was but usually i hear like oh well the people who own this house they're like i always heard like some family member was in jail or something and then they broke in and just stayed in the attic or whatever. They just their way back into their old house? Yeah. Sort of. So, yeah, I always, I've always thought the idea of someone living in somebody else's house and them not knowing was terrifying. It's terrifying. I've, I've like, often wondered, like, there's so many homeless people in the world, like, why more of them don't, like, sneak into houses or garden sheds or something Mm -hmm. yeah I do know one guy that got really drunk and passed out in one of the sheds outside of a Home Depot one of the display sheds (laughs) fun fun fact some people found him there and they assumed he was homeless and brought him food but he wasn't homeless he was just drunk (laughs) (laughs) oh no I'm just drunk eh He was so happy though. He's like, he's like, it was really good because like after that, I realized I probably shouldn't be there. But then I was like walking home and I had food to eat on the walk home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard I've I've heard stories of drunk people trying to go into the wrong house and stuff before yeah. too. But I feel like some people with the mindset of, well, this is this house. I'm gonna I'm gonna break into it and then live somewhere in the house and not let anybody know. Like that's terrifying to me. Yeah, that's that's much creepier. <laughs> um, well, I guess the first movie starts off a little differently. Do you want to uh, tell people about Bad Ronald? I think on Instagram you said this is something you've been wanting to watch for a while. Yeah, it, it, that, well, that was the other thing is when I realized it had plot similarities to the other movie, it became a no-brainer to put it on the list because I. It's literally one of those movies that I remember wanting to see, but I couldn't remember why or anything like that. And so mm-hmm. then I'm like, uh, whatever. I guess I'll, I guess this is my excuse to watch it, right? Um, and then you're like, wait, there's a movie with Gary Busey that's somewhat similar? 
Yeah. Oh, done and done. It's just, yeah, exactly. Because let's uh, be honest. I mean, we're going to get there, but if you found out Gary Busey was living in your house and you didn't know about it, that'd probably be the most terrifying thing you've ever heard in your entire oh, life. Dude, you mean when someone finds out Gary Busey is living in their house and they don't know about it? <laughs> uh, so yeah, why don't you run down Bad Ronald for us? Bad Ronald, so... 1974 made-for-TV thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Based on a book. Yeah. So Which apparently someone... <laughs> and from what I've read, the book is actually much more violent than the actual movie is. Oh, really? See, I, I got it in my head that I should read the book, but I don't. Yeah. That happens a lot, and then I never read the book. So. <laughs> uh, um, but basically, it's nerdy, weird kid, um, and someone's people are always picking on him. So he murders a little girl, as you do. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's clarify it a little bit. He doesn't he doesn't murder because he's creepy and weird. She she says mean getting... things about his mom, so he grabs her and smacks her around until she accidentally dies. Basically, right? Yeah, she falls and hits his head on a brick. Yeah, um, but you know, like he murders a little girl because he's creepy and weird is not an inaccurate description. <laughs> So he goes well, home. He tells. I think mom, we're supposed to be sympathetic. I think we're supposed to think that it is an accident, but that sympathy goes out the window by the end of the movie. Continue. Well, let's say it was an accident that he killed her, but he was beating up a little girl at the time. Sure. So I don't know how much sympathy he gets from me on that one. But <laughs> uh, basically, his. His mom has the idea, like, look, we're just going to, we need to hide you until I can get things organized, and then we'll move. And because it's like the 70s, mm-hmm. if we just move, problem solved. I'll say, I don't know where you went, then I'll move, and then you just live with me in the new town, and nobody will ever find you. <laughs> and. Ah, uh, the 70s. <laughs> it makes me wonder if that would have worked in a pre computer era. I'm like, maybe. <laughs> like, I how think would it have. So. So, considering um, Ted Bundy got arrested. <laughs> After killing a bunch of people and escaping from jail, and they had no idea who he was, I'm sure. That's a solid fine. point. Yeah, he made it all the way to court, so. Yeah. <laughs> Them still not knowing who he was, all he had to do was not say his name. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, the, the plan is for him to, they section off an area of the house, so he has a, a washroom and a small, like, hiding place, and he's just going to live in there, in hiding, until uh, it's safe to move. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, all the bad luck, his mom goes in for simple surgery, I think gallbladder surgery, and she dies under the knife. So now he's alone in the house, and this to me is when he goes full creepy, because somebody has come in and, like, family members have taken what they want from the house, and the rest of it's been donated to charity, and the house has been put in the market, and instead of using all of this time as a chance to escape... Ronald uh, sneaks around the house and drills holes in the wall using a hand drill of all things, <laughs> which for some reason was weirder to me than anything else. And he's just that way he can spy on whatever family moves in. And his plan is just to continue living in the walls with this other family. Um, 
he gradually goes, I would say, more and more insane while he's in there and starts to believe he's living in this fantasy world that he's created through his drawings on the walls. Uh, somehow ends up determining that one of the teenage daughters, the, the family that moved in, is supposed to be his princess. That, you know, he's like a prince and the... I think he says like that the boyfriend of the one girl who is also coincidentally the brother of the kid he murdered at the beginning is some sort of evil doer in this fantasy world of his. So he's going to take that guy out and then he's going to bring the princess into his world, which I assume means make her live inside the walls of the house with him. <laughs> it wasn't 100% clear. Yeah. Yeah, not really uh, clear. But throughout all this, the family's getting more and more suspicious that something's going wrong because of the missing food and the weird noises and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the movie just kind of culminates one night when the girls are home alone and the one girl has now gone missing and then the boyfriend goes missing. <laughs> and finally, they figure out something's behind that wall. And in a weirdly anticlimactic moment, Ronald just bursts through the wall and tries to run out the front door of the house. <laughs> but there's cops watching the house at this point because they've been called multiple times due to the missing people. <laughs> and they just see him come running out of the house and tackle him. <laughs> and that's how the movie ends. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking with the uh, 80s suspense movies that um, they don't really wrap things up. No. And this is definitely a case of that, too, where... <laughs> Well, yeah, they they tackle them, handcuff them. We go back inside to see everybody hug each other, and then roll credits. Yeah, this I I really felt this movie needed uh, this, like my first criticism of the film is it needed like the psycho moment. It needed that epilogue where you just have him in a cell somewhere with somebody trying to explain what the hell is wrong with him. Totally. And let us let us all know kind of what direction they're heading in and is he going to end up in jail? Is he going to end up in a psycho institution? Does he plan to escape or will he be perfectly happy in a cell because he's been living in this really confined space for a long time anyway? But they just don't give us that. and I, I feel the movie needed it. Uh, the psycho reference is exactly what was on my mind as it was wrapping up. I'm like, we need the psycho. We need the therapist to come in and tell us yeah. what's going on with him. It would have been perfect, too, because that would have been what a weird, like, happy ending if they had said, yeah, we're going to put him in a cell, but don't worry. He seems very comfortable in there. Like, he could have left any time and he was perfectly happy as long as he had access to a bathroom and some chalk. So yeah. just give him that and yeah, some just walls and. There you go. Yeah, just like a, a zoom out of Ronald sitting in his cell, just drawing weird shit on the walls. Yeah, would have been really cool. But yeah. now we're inventing stuff about the movie that we think. Should <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, so this is the first time watched for me. Um, I do find it very interesting, the idea of just hiding your kid in the walls of your house. And hoping that, you know, the police will just get bored and stop bothering you. Um, I did like how he just gets dirtier and dirtier as the movie goes on. Well, it, it, I, I thought that was a really interesting thing because his mom kept, like, reminding him to stay clean, to mm. do his studies, to do his exercises. And it turns out he really needed that help because he just, as soon as she was gone, he just stopped cleaning himself. And it's like... 
but they purpose you purposely got built into the area where you have access to a bathroom. Like that was done intentionally, and you're just <laughs> not taking advantage of it at this point. No. Uh, so, what did you think of it? Um, I liked a lot of it. Um, I liked the atmosphere. I thought it was like I, th- I thought the way they set it up worked for to get him inside the walls, and. I thought it was pretty creepy when it was like when the one daughter is the only one who seems to be noticing the noises and everybody else is just not like just telling her to shut up basically. Um, it had some kind of made for TV moments though. Uh, most notably the neighbor that keeps spying in on him and eventually the old, sees Ronald. The old nosy neighbor. Yeah, the old like I think her name was uh, was her name Agnes or Agatha. I can't remember. It was yeah. one of those two, I think. Um, and it was just it, it felt weird and it was kind of cartoonish and sitcom-y and then as soon as she finally sees him she just has a heart attack and dies and he just drags her body under the house and it's done and I'm like well that that served no purpose at all <laughs> like when she saw him I'm like oh we're gonna get to watch him kill her right like I thought and that's gonna be like the progression of the evilness of this character but mm-hmm. it's not what happens so it's kind of like well then why were we going through that yeah. Um, I also felt they could have done a better job helping us understand his devolution into this, you know, fantasy world that he was creating. Um, they did yeah. some stuff like the the drawing on the walls and all that was neat, but I didn't really understand that he was believing it yet. And then it kind of felt like it just happened, sort of like what we said about Unlawful Entry, where we said it just kind of the progression wasn't there. It was kind of a big jump, and that was the yeah. same thing here. Yeah, they, I mean they. they sort of tease it a little bit that he's getting lost in this fantasy world that he's made up, but you don't really see that that he's lost in it until the very end. Um, they definitely could have done a little bit more of that leading up to it. Yeah, just, just, just to like sprinkle it in throughout the movie so that when it finally comes out at the end, you're like, oh, he's full-blown at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to imagine myself in 1974 watching this movie and being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine. <laughs> like You sit at home and it's like, oh, the movie of the week's on. And then you watch this and you're just like, what? I'm just wondering if people are going to work and be like, did you see that weird ass movie last night? The kid living in the walls? And they'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> And then you'd be like, well, it's the 70s, so you'll never know, because it'll never air again. It is strange to me, and it's, it's hard to put myself back in that place. I think we've even had this conversation before, but like, made-for-TV movies were like a thing back then, where oh, yeah. legitimate movies were being made just to be shown on television once or twice. And it's like, something like this is... It's just not what you would think would make it to television. I don't understand like how they thought this was going to have the mainstream appeal for like a Friday night audience or whenever it aired. I don't know. And it's just a, it, it's such a strange, quirky little movie. I'm glad I watched it. I, I'd be curious to see someone tackle it again, like a similar subject matter, or, mm-hmm. or even retell the story with like a different sensibility of not being made for television and allow a little more violence to come out. Um, Cause there's, there's a lot to explore there and you could do a really dark psychological thriller if you had the right people involved. I want to say there was a, uh, from the trivia I read, there was 
somebody was exploring doing a remake of it in like 2010. Yeah. I want to say it was the wine scenes. So. Yeah. That doesn't bad. really tell us. Doesn't tell us much about what the film would be like because we don't. No. You, need, you want to know who the writer and the director and the star are going to be. That's going to be exactly the pieces, right? Everything else can just kind of fall into place. Uh, let's see. Yeah, based on the novel, the violence of the book was heavily cut and toned down for television. Much of the more disturbing content was considered too intense for FCC restrictions. Yeah. And see, that, that I think is probably the biggest flaw of the movie, is that it, it's not a type of story that should be told in a made-for-television system. Yeah. It, um, they did a good job with what they could work with, I think. Okay, well, here we go. This had a French remake in 1992. And Dimension Films had planned plans in 2010 to remake this, but nothing has come to fruition yet. Okay. So apparently there was a French version. I don't know. Not, not that familiar with French films from the 90s, but knowing what I know about French films from the early 2000s, <laughs> that could be interesting. Yeah, they're not shy about going to crazy places if they need to. Uh, uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did enjoy watching the movie. I feel like it does sort of. You watch it and you're like, oh, yeah, I see a lot of stuff that came out of this people must have seen this and been inspired or something but yeah i'm just imagining being being in 1974 going to school the next day and being like what the fuck was that i i'd be i'd be interested to be like the the guys at the water cooler you know like uh how nerds sometimes will like float something out there just to see who else understands what we're talking about Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like you'll mention like scenes from Dawn of the Dead or something, and if somebody else knows what you're talking about, well, there you go. Um, now we now you can be friends with that guy. And it's, I imagine the next day in a lot of offices, it's like, so, guys watch TV last night? Yeah, I was watching the game. Okay. Anybody watch anything else? Anything a little stranger? <laughs> it's the 70s so I'm picturing a bunch of guys with like curly hair and big mustaches standing around a water cooler in very awkward suits trying to explain the movie and they're just like yeah this mom walls her kid up in the walls of the house and he just lives there and then a new family moves in and he's just like living in the walls someone's like Frank did you smoke some bad weed last night what the fuck <laughs> Like, no, seriously, you should watch it. He'd be like, well, I can't watch it because it's in the 70s. We could never watch anything ever again after it's aired. You're crazy. Um, so this did get a Blu-ray release. I'm wondering if there's any uh, uh, special features. On. I'm going to assume there's not. But I feel like this is one you could definitely like deep dive into to talk with people who was involved with it just to be like so what happened after this movie or like were people just like freaking out or like what's going on yeah it'd be it's one of those ones where it's like i guess i mean given the fact that neither of us were alive in 1974 mm-hmm. it's impossible for us to completely gauge the reaction but i, I think audiences would have been fucked up watching this <laughs> and just like the whole it's one of those ones where like the concept is so damn creepy 
that it's like even where the execution isn't perfect you're just imagining being this family that goes to the fridge to get an egg and there's just some eggs gone and you're like <laughs> what do you do with that how like, how do you react to that and they're all looking around at each other like did you eat the eggs no did you eat the eggs no <laughs> and eventually the mom is just trying to keep the peace so she like pretends that she's like oh i must have miscounted but she knows that's not true and just in her head it's just like there's eggs going missing from her house <laughs> yeah i love that I, yeah it's not the like I loved how there was a giant argument spurred because of missing eggs in this movie. Like That's she just assumes, real. yeah, she just assumes it's her husband, and then starts like going off on him. And he's like, "What the hell are you even talking about?" Just because it, it's such a it, it sounds ridiculous, but it sounds like something a real family would get into a fight about. Like, I boiled the exact number of eggs I needed for the kids' lunches, and now we're missing eggs. Could you please not eat the eggs? I didn't eat the eggs, and then everybody's just mad at each other all of a sudden. Yeah, everybody's and they, yelling, and the dad's like, "I've never even seen a hard-boiled egg in this house before." And they keep blaming it on the uh, the one girl's boyfriend, and she's getting super defensive. Like we've all seen him eat. Maybe he just comes here for the food. <laughs> it's, it it felt like a real family though, which I think helped the movie a lot because those sil- those silly scenes made mm-hmm. them feel like real siblings. So then, when the one girl is freaking out and her siblings have zero sympathy for her, you're like, oh right, because teenage girls wouldn't feel bad for another teenage girl that was their sister. <laughs> if it was if it was one of their friends from school, they'd have been very concerned. But their sister, nah, they would have just picked on her a little and moved on with their day, and that's what they do. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely one thing I was gonna bring up. How you know the girl goes missing. R- Ronald leaves like this weird uh, typed up note in her typewriter that makes it sound like she ran away. Yeah. <clears throat> so they call the police and they're like, "Oh yeah, our sister's gone. Like, what do we do?" And the police are like, "Look, she uh, she may have left. I don't know. Do you know how many times I've had to?" Uh, Ch- you know, come chase down like runaway girls. Like he just does not give a shit whatsoever. And uh, and so the the sisters are kind of upset that the police aren't doing anything. But then like cut to like half an hour later, and they're just going about their night like it's no big deal. And all of a sudden, it's just like, well, now my boyfriend's missing. <laughs> and it's just like, what the fuck. There is a thing when when the second person goes missing in the same night. You think that that's got to rev up the tension a little bit in the household. <laughs> They're like, well, I guess we should put our pajamas on and get ready for bed. And yeah, and the only thing that gives Ronald away is he leaves his light on in his little cubby hole, and yeah. it shines through his peephole, and that's how they figure out he's living in the wall. Yeah. What a weird ass movie. <laughs> it, was, it was super weird. I just. I, Again, it's like it's the the concepts are what the weirdest thing is about it. It's just and the like the atmosphere I think works because the 1970s kind of naturally lends itself to that, where everybody's just yeah. there's a, a nonchalantness to the to this emergency situation where it's like like say the cops are like ah she probably ran away why don't we just wait maybe she'll get bored and come home and then I don't have to do anything kind of it's. <laughs> And I mean, at the end of the day, what are cops supposed to do? They find a, a note from a runaway teenage girl. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't just. I don't know what the starting point is for that, you know? Yeah, especially like in the 70s where it's like, well, 
let's go check all the traffic cams, see if we can figure out where she left from this house. But it's like, no, it's the 70s. There are no traffic cams. And even if there are traffic cams, nobody's, like, recording any footage off of it. So, yeah. And there's no, but I mean, there's there's no ATM cards that she could be using draw to use at a bank or credit cards. There's no, uh, you know, she's not posting anything on social media. There's nothing, right? There's yeah. Other than hope and just like maybe they go to the bus station and see if she tries to get on a bus. Like, was that what you would do? I don't know. Yeah, the world seems a lot harder in the 70s. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess anything else for Bad uh, Ronald? I have a weird question in determining sure. how, how terrible Ronald is. I'm trying to decide how terrible he is. I know he's terrible. Obviously, mm-hmm. he, lives on, he lives in the walls and he tries to convince a teenage girl to move in there with him. <laughs> but because it's the 70s, I have no idea how old anybody is. <laughs> so I guess my question would be, is Ronald like 14 or is he 18? And then what is the age of the teenage sisters that he's spying on and the one that he falls in love with? Because uh-huh. like, if he's 18 and that girl's 13, there's a real problem. Mm. Like an additional problem to add on to all this, but if he's like fourteen and she's fourteen, then that problem doesn't exist. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't know I, how to tell because it's the '70s. So. Yeah, in my head, I pictured him being like seventeen. Okay. Uh, the mom does bring up that she's worried about when he leaves for college, which I okay. was assuming that's something that's happening relatively soonish. Um. And then the girl, I don't know, I would put in like 15, but again, okay, I th- it's the same problem where <laughs> it's the know. 70s and I can't tell. And if she's 15, that means her other sisters have to be like 16 and 17, which means that family just pitches those kids out like crazy. Well, yeah, cool. The other problem with it being the 70s is all of the adults look too old to me. <laughs> like, like that dad looks like he's in his mid fifties, but then why are his daughters quite so young? And mm-hmm. like Ronald's mom, I think was retired, but had a teenage son. It was weird. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and that's just the way they look to me back then. <laughs> I don't know why that's the way it was. I mean, you were 40 in the seventies and you look like you were 70. So, Yeah. I guess it was the smoking and everything else that was going on back then. Probably. <laughs> so, whatever weird pills that his mom kept taking for yeah, whatever really, problem she I, had. I don't even want to know. It seemed Every, very... Everybody in the movie, feed, feed, everybody seemed a little weird to me. <laughs> but I don't know how much <laughs> of that is the 70s and how much of that is that this movie was weird. Because like, Ronald was even weirder than we're making him out to be. For people who haven't seen sure. the movie... Yeah. Like, he also was really concerned with making sure he could see into the family's kitchen. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I found that really weird. Like, I'm like, if if he'd been that concerned about seeing into the teenage daughter's bedrooms or something, I would have been like, oh, what a gross guy. But I would have at least understood that. Why was he, like, so concerned about wanting to see into the kitchen and the living room and stuff? Like, he wanted... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he wanted access to, like, the family moments. Yeah. And it's yeah. weird. I don't know. The family stuff I could sort of brush away, or the kitchen stuff I could brush away with. Well, he sneaks into the kitchen to steal food, so maybe he likes that so he can make sure there's nobody in the kitchen. And then his little entryways in the pantry, so he, you know, he pops out into the kitchen. I guess. But 
Yeah, the living room stuff makes no sense, though. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Ronald was a strange fellow. Yeah, I mean, I yep. guess living in the walls long enough will turn you strange, but... Sure. Again, I don't think they reinforced that enough for us to realize that's what was happening, but... Yeah, I'd, I'm still not really sure if he was driven insane by being forced to live in the walls, or whether he was just kind of naturally evil. It's mm-hmm. not too clear. Yeah. Because he also had a way out. I don't know if we've referenced that, but he built himself a trap door so he could go under the house and get out anytime he wanted and didn't. Mm-hmm. So even at the end, when he made that decision to burst through the wall and try to run through the house and make it out the front door, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of work considering you could have just gone down and run out. And by the time anyone figured out what was going on, you'd be a block away. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what his thing was. I mean, he did have that guy tied up in there. Yeah. But I still don't know why bursting through the wall was the uh, was the best. It's the wall he built, too, so you think he'd have some pride in his craftsmanship. <laughs> right. Oh, I can bust through this, no problem. <laughs> mm. uh, well, anything else before we move on to the strangeness of Gary Busey living in a house? Just... Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's a recommend if we're, if people are wondering whether they yeah. should watch Bad Ronald. If you're into creepy, weird, made-for-TV thrillers from the 70s, this is quite a good one. It's pretty unique in its structure and its storytelling. It's, yeah. it's just fucking weird. Um, which, uh, it's out on Blu-ray from Warner Archive. And uh, the transfer that we watched was a Blu-ray transfer, and it looked amazing for... Yeah. A 1974 made-for-TV movie. So they did an awesome job sort of restoring it and stuff. So worth seeking out if uh, if you're interested. Uh, all right. Are you going to walk us through the next plot? Is that what's going to happen um, now? Uh, yeah. I'm you just want to yell Gary Busey's name and everybody will kind of figure <laughs> out what happened in the movie? <laughs> uh, yeah, so... We, uh, I don't know, over the opening credits, we get sort of this weird montage sort of setup that there was this kid who was being abused by his parents. Apparently he had had enough and he burnt that motherfucking house down with his parents inside of it. Uh, should be noted, uh, the main character, which I don't remember what the guy's name is, uh... But he'll be Gary Busey later on in the movie. But as a child, he's played by Jake Busey, which is pretty fantastic. It's, it's clever casting. There's no other way to say it. Yeah. He's like, I bet my son could play me. And they're like, sure, whatever you want, Gary. Just don't hurt us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they do show, like, during this montage, they do show, uh, like, pictures and stuff that he would have had taken it whatever, you know, child protective service sort of situation. And, yeah, he's all bruised up. He's got cigarette burns all over his arm. And, yeah, yeah he's he's kind of messed up. And I think this is just one of those that's like, uh, yeah, burn that fucking house down. Those people are fucking terrible. Like, I don't think anybody necessarily blames them. Maybe, you know, shouldn't have gone that direction with it. But what the fuck are you going to do? I mean, this movie came out in 89, so this would have been, like, what, the 50s? 
it's not clear how old Gary Busey mm. is supposed to be in this movie. I feel yeah. that a little confusing. Uh, so maybe 50s or 60s, somewhere in there. So, fuck those parents. Anyway. Uh, so apparently he gets sent away to a detention center. Uh, he has to see a therapist all the time. Uh, and he's being let out, finally. Uh, so event- apparently he goes and gets himself like one of those seedy hotel rooms. Um, yeah, I was thinking of the guy in Basket Case. That's all I kept thinking of. <laughs> oh yeah, these, these hotel rooms that only exist in like '80s movies, where it's like I get a hotel room, but I'm basically going to live there. But mm-hmm. everyone knows everybody, and it's weird and creepy, and I don't like it that those places exist. Yeah, you have to stop at the front desk and ask if there's any messages, and yeah, it's a very strange uh, situation. Uh, speaking of which, it does show him coming back to the hotel and getting into an altercation with the uh, desk guy because the guy's just smoking a cigarette and waving it around and it gets too close to Gary Busey who, understandably, now has like a phobia of cigarettes, especially getting too close to him. So he kind of has a blow-up, chokes the guy, um, doesn't tell his therapist about it, and they start talking and Gary Busey comes up with this dream of like, I want to live in a house and like all this stuff. And then, so this, I don't I don't fully understand. I, I don't know if I missed something. But did he just literally just drive around and find a house that he thought looked cool that was abandoned? And then yeah, go an empty house that, had, that he wanted to live in. Okay. I, that's what I thought, but I'm just like, am I missing something? Like, is this the location of this house, like, significant? Or They didn't say that. Okay. Maybe. All right. But there's so, a couple of things they skip over in this movie, so we'll get into that discussion. <laughs> uh, so the house is just open because it looks like it's being remodeled or something. But So he just makes his way in and decides, you know what? I want to live here, but I don't want to pay for the house. So maybe I'll just go up in the attic and sort of cordon off like a corner of it. Because uh, there is a mention with his therapist that he used to sleep under the sink so that his parents couldn't find him and he felt comfortable. So he builds like this sort of tiny room up in the attic, which I'm assuming is supposed to be sort of a uh, an acknowledgement that he likes sleeping in small spaces or whatever. Yeah. Um, builds this room. Uh, a new family moves into the house. And he just kind of lives in the house while they do their thing. But then I sort of feel like the filmmakers of One Hour Photo saw some stuff in this movie because he gets super involved with the family without them even knowing about it. Has pictures of them like on his wall. And then when it turns out that the dad, who is played by Michael McKeon, uh, is having an affair, he pretty much sets it up so that the wife will find out and then tries to move his himself into becoming a legit part of the family. But, of course, that goes terribly, terribly wrong. And all culminates in Gary Busey being Gary Busey and yelling at people and them not understanding what the fuck he's talking about. There's, and uh, There's so much at the end there where he's just, like, acting like, why, don't, why aren't you guys all in my, on my plan? And they're all like, we don't know who you are. <laughs> 
which, you know, ends up with him actually killing people to keep this whole thing a secret that he's living in the house. So, uh, yeah, he's not a good guy. And uh, typical uh, 80s slash 90s fashion, it ends with him in a hail of bullets, the family hugging, and then roll some credits. Yeah. Literally, he's cops walk in, shoot him. Family just hugs and done. (laughs) (laughs) All you people are in therapy for the rest of your lives, but we're not going to address that right now. Movie's over. Oh my god. Um, So obvious reason why this was teamed up with Bad Ronald. Yeah, I mean the the very, very similar plots. (laughs) It's so weird that there's more than one movie that has this plot. (laughs) Uh, there is another one, but I can't say what it is because the fact that there is someone living in the house is a spoiler. So, um, but yeah, I found this one way creepier than Bad Ronald. Oh, really? Okay, just because it's I, Gary Busey. I think it's just because it's Gary Busey, and and he's just getting like super involved with people, and like, you know, he'll just sh- show up. <laughs> like he literally will climb out of the house. I don't know how not be seen in the middle of broad daylight doing it. Yeah. Walk, walk up to the front door, knock on the door, and start talking to the wife. It's like, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, there were definitely some scenes in this movie where I was just like, I got that, that same kind of eerie feeling I had when I watched One Hour Photo. Mm. Um, uh, one of the obvious ones is when he is walking around the house when everyone's asleep. And he goes in and like tucks the little girl in, and I'm like, don't, don't tuck somebody else's kid in without their permission. That's just, just like he's doing. He's really not doing anything wrong. He's actually technically helping the girl stay warm at night. But don't do that. Don't ever fucking yeah. go into a little girl's room and tuck her into her bed if you if, unless you're like a parent or somebody with the approval of the parent to do that. Yeah, <laughs> Fuck this- it. There's just something about it. This is when he, at least like maybe just a little past halfway through the movie, so he is way too comfortable in this situation where everybody goes to bed and he's just like, well, I'll just do my patrol around the house and he'll just go walk around, you know, grab something out of the fridge, eat it, walk in, oh, little little girl's got her blanket off, just walk in, cover up, turn the lamp off, and then go (laughs) in the bedroom and watch the mom sleep. It's like, no. It's so fucking wrong. It's just, it's because he, and I think what's so wrong about it is that he doesn't really seem to think he's doing anything weird or wrong. Like he thinks if they wake up, he'll just apologize and they'll go back to sleep. Right. (laughs) But the, the one moment that I found creepiest in this whole fucking movie was when he was alone upstairs and he's rigged that thing so he can listen to everybody through the house's intercom system. Mm -hmm. And the mom's putting the kids to bed and he's like listening to the nighttime story and like like as if she's tucking him in too and then she's all like good night and he's like good night and it's like holy fucking that's weird <laughs> especially it's i don't even know if it makes it better or worse that later he like develops like a more like romantic slash sexual interest in the mom and i'm like is that better or worse that he was pretending that's his mom i don't even know i was like i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) oh 
so weird just he's he's just sitting down there or laying down there and he's just like good night mom and he's like just as if he's one of the kids getting tucked in and I'm like oh I don't I don't like that yeah he uh he's definitely super creepy in this movie because I don't know I want to say even a, maybe a bad Ronald maybe a little bit like he's not happy with the situation I don't think but you know he's got nowhere else to go so he's like fuck it I'm gonna live in this house but in this one he's definitely just like nah I'm gonna live in this house I'm gonna watch I'm, I'm gonna watch his family like this is premeditated like yeah. there isn't even a family in the house and he specifically picked an empty house so that somebody would move in and them not realize he lives there. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So there's Gary Busey's performance too, like the way he would listen in on their conversations and then repeat the phrases back to himself and then later oh use God. them in conversation. Like just like a psychopathic version of the dude. Like it's so upsetting. Though, because you just you realize that he's trying to fit in, and this the best he can do is sneak in and live in your attic without your permission and, and spy on you. That's what he thinks. Like getting to know people is. Yeah, I was reminded of uh, Darkman, like when he records people and then you know keeps trying to like say the phrases over and over yeah. to see how he can mimic yeah. their voice. That's exactly what I got out. Of. <laughs> I was just like, oh, you're right. Yeah. What about the yeah. fact that the Gary Busey character, because there's the weird neighbor dude who watches the mom, who's Mimi Rogers, by the way, like, we're yeah. just calling her the mom, but she, like, she goes swimming one night, and there's this other neighbor dude watching her, and Gary Busey gets, like, super defensive of her, and whenever that guy's around, he shows up to, like, intervene and make sure that guy's not going to make the moves on her and stuff, and it's like, you're living in her attic without permission, how would you get to be the one to call somebody else creepy? It's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, like in another movie, the next door neighbor would be like the creep. But in here, he's just like, oh, he's kind of nothing compared to what fucking Gary Busey's doing. No, I, I kept waiting for that guy to become like, maybe he'd turn into the nice guy. And that we were just kind of thinking of him as creepy because we were seeing him kind of from Gary Busey's perspective. But it turns out, no, he's just, he's a little weird. He's a little creepy. <laughs> he does, you know, he does show up and start hitting on the mom like, what like a couple of days after the husband moves out kind of thing and it's like the only way he would even know the husband's gone is if he's watching so yeah, yeah. That, guy, that guy's no good either but no uh yeah so at some point through his listening gary Busey starts inserting himself into other members of the family's lives yeah like the son is having a problem with the bully at school which I love how they started this, where the kid's telling the story and this new kid just walks up and is like, hey, is it like this thing? And they're like, no, fuck you, new kid, and then beats the shit out of him. Again, kind of feels right for an elementary school in the 80s. (laughs) That kid's new here, get him! (laughs) Sort of how I remember things. Uh, uh, so Gary Busey hears about this and then you see him specifically waiting at the school some a couple days later waiting for the kid from the house to to get out of school and then get get bullied by the bully and then of course he's got to show up and try to like you know 
stumble into this whole thing makes it make it seem very natural that he was just passing by and then gets this weird idea like i'm gonna teach this kid how to fight but then like goes way over the top of yeah well you should probably try to keep your you know arms up Oh, but I'm no good at it. Okay, so what you do is you kick them right in the nuts, and then you, when they're on the ground, you just beat the living hell out of their face. It's just like, what the hell? At one point, when he's like, you got to make sure he stays down, so you kick him <laughs> once in the head really good. And I'm like, oh, don't say that to a child. <laughs> Even having grown up in the 80s where, like, the response to bullying was, like, well, have you tried hitting him really hard? Like, that is what parents said. <laughs> but... <laughs> Nobody ever said kick him in the face when he's already down on the ground. No. No, no. Of course, Gary Busey takes takes it to, like, an extreme level. But then we do get to see it actually happen. Yep. And when you see it happen, that doesn't make me feel any better about it. I'm like... No. That, that, that whiny little 12-year-old is beating the shit out of that bully. I don't like watching that. That's a little far. That's not, like, a fun kid fight. No. It was still not a good time. Yeah. Um, I don't know, any, any other memorable moments for you? Um, it's just, yeah, it's, again, it's, well, I mean, another really creepy scene was when he is, he, I think he falls asleep. It's not, again, the filmmaking isn't perfect, so I'm not always 100% sure, sure. exactly what happened, but I think he falls asleep downstairs oh, yeah. one night. That's, and that's, so, when, that's when the mom uh, was depressed and she got super drunk on vodka or something and yeah pass out so he was just in there watching her sleep yeah yeah and then in the morning when she goes to take a shower and he's in the shower in the background and she doesn't know he's there and you can just see him through that like frosted glass i'm like oh oh, fuck this isn't gonna end well and then he ends up just hiding in the closet watching her shower and i'm like don't don't hide in the closet and watch people shower. That feels wrong. <laughs> Again, at least I can understand that motivation a little more than the wanting to live in the attic and listen to them through the PA system. But uh, you still shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, we should mention, I think, that he kills two people. Yeah, so and, he, first he kills and, the exterminator. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the family dog. Which yeah. is upsetting. That I thought one of the biggest flaws of the movie was the whole plot line around the dog. Because if you're trying to make this feel like a real family, a real family, husband, wife, two kids, that dog going missing is probably a bigger deal to that family than the husband's affair. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like those kids would be so super upset and the parents would be fighting over whose fault it was. You know what I mean? Mm, That's where I feel like they kind of let it all go. And then it was only like when the dad left, then there was some lines of dialogue where the rest of the family was kind of acknowledging that the dog was gone. But Mm. I'm like, that should have been a very big deal. And we should have gotten to see how Gary Busey's character reacted to that, whether he was you know, fine with it or whether he was upset for what he'd done to these people or you know whatever it was we should have known that because that yeah you know he just he literally kills the dog a couple days after the family moves in and nobody brings it up again for another like hour of movie time yeah i uh seems like it would have been more effective if he could have like won the dog over yeah so the dog wasn't like you know freaking out about him and barking and stuff well, that'd be an interesting way to go, too, because then later in the movie, 
when he becomes a threat, he, you could have had him with the dog on his side kind of thing. Like, they're trying to get the dog to defend them, and the dog won't, because mm-hmm. the dog likes him more than them now. That would have been a way to go. There's a lot of different things they could have done, but instead they just kind of glossed it over. Yeah, yeah and it could have just been like, this dog is fucking annoying to work with. How about we just kill him off? Maybe. We don't have to worry about it. But I, I think it was more lazy filmmaking. Um, oh, yeah, a, there, there were a few other things like that where like even just the logistics like okay he's got a place to sleep up there and he's got his way in and out and we see how that all works um but he doesn't have a bathroom up there he doesn't have like the ability to like do laundry we don't see a uh, we don't see a suitcase we don't know where like but he wears different clothes throughout the movie mm-hmm. so maybe that maybe that should maybe we see that he's so intensely planned this that he's climbing down and going to the YMCA to shower every morning. <laughs> or maybe he's going down into the family's house and showering without their permission, which is weird. Like, we don't know. And yeah. it's like that... It feels like that should have been addressed because it could have been really... Like, that'd be really creepy. For some reason, that's super creepy to me, the idea that if he comes downstairs and showers while they're all at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do get a couple quick shots of, like, the family will leave. She's going to take the kids to school or whatever. Yeah. And he comes down and just eats off their plates and then moves stuff around. And when the mom comes home, she's like, this plate doesn't seem like it's in the right place. But then yeah. just shrugs it off and moves up, moves on to something else. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't feel like the family noticed him being there enough. No. No, which is weird because the daughter definitely does because she sees him, like, one of the first nights. Yeah. And kind of freaks yeah. out about it, but then, you know, the way she describes it, the family's just like, eh, she had a nightmare. And then yeah. they just dismiss it. And, again, it feels like a dropped plot thread, where it's like, what if that daughter kept constantly, because when, when he becomes, like, this interloper character who's, you know, kind of doing the 80s thing of coming in and trying to push the dad out so he can take over, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when once he's doing that, then it would be neat if the daughter like kind of started mentioning to the mom, like that's the guy I saw in the middle of the night. And she's like, you had a dream about Tom. Like like there, there's a whole thing you could have done there. And instead that scene where she sees him just feels misplaced in the movie. Like it probably shouldn't have happened because then they have a, a chance encounter later when the little girl almost falls in the pool and he decides to get involved and stop her. And it's like, well, that could have been their first meeting. There's no need for that previous one, and it would have been it would have made more sense, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Fucking Gary Busey. He's nuts. And this movie was uh, finished five days before the big car accident that everyone oh, says yeah. made him crazy. So <laughs> this this is shining proof that he was crazy before. Yeah, he was always crazy. It's just it, like in interviews, he's referred to this as like a, I forget what term he uses, but he it's like he wasn't acting in the movie; he just was absorbed in the role and just. And like, well, that's <laughs> not what you want to say about the character who sneaks in and lives in somebody else's <laughs> attic without permission. Uh, yeah. So of course, towards the end of the movie, he has this giant psychotic break. Um, he sets it up so the wife will find out about the husband's affair. Of course, they have a huge fight. She kicks him out. She's by herself. And then he starts coming around as the guy who helped her son out of the fist fight that he was in. 
But then, like, at the end of the film, like, he just comes over and is like, hey, would you like to go to a movie with me? And she's like, uh, you know, now's not really a good time. And instead of just being like, oh, okay, well, maybe some other time, and then just leaving. He causes, like, this giant scene, and she's like, maybe you should come around for a while. Yeah. And then leaves, and then comes back and bangs on the door some more, and it's just like, oh, man. Yeah, you can see where he's just lost it, and it's like... Yeah. And you can, you can kind of feel bad for her, too, because she's like, she had this stuff with her husband, and she's not sure if he's ever coming back or not. And, you know, and Gary Busey's been, one of the things we didn't mention, he's been, uh, you know, deleting the phone messages when the husband calls the house and hiding flowers that he sent and stuff. So she thinks her husband is just ignoring her. And the kids think that, too. Um, and so she's kind of like, taking comfort in this other guy and then when he asks her out like kind of formally you can see she's like oh no i'm not there yet you know what i mean like i don't even know what's going on with my family yet i can't be seeing somebody else which is a very reasonable position for her to be in Mm. and he just loses it he's just like no you don't understand i spent like a whole day upstairs in your attic planning how to ask you out (laughs) (laughs) yeah so he fucking loses it, and then, yeah, everything goes to hell, and just, uh, by the end of it, he's, he's like, yelling at her, like, I'm the one who saved your daughter from drowning. Did you know that? And it's like, no, she doesn't know that. She doesn't nobody, know knew the daughter, nobody knew the daughter almost drowned except for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it does get creepy. When he's got her there, and he holds their heads together, and he's basically threatening to like murder suicide her with a single bullet yeah i'm like oh that that's upsetting i don't want to look at that and that's when the cops kind of burst in and take him out but it's like it's a creepy scene and partially just because it is gary Busey and he is Mm, yeah because you don't know if if this was acting or if this was just he says he wasn't acting in this movie this happened and the camera just happened to be rolling and they're like yeah we'll put it in the film anyway yeah um yeah but it's a uh, yeah it's it he's def- definitely a creepy character the mm-hmm. whole time and it's just it's weird to see how nuts he is and at the end there it comes full tilt where he's like well why haven't all you guys been living in my fantasy this whole time <laughs> he, like what what was the end game that's that's the thing i got thinking about while i was watching the credits roll i'm like so he shows up and he says he does this whole like line which is just a terrible line of dialogue where he's like, maybe you'd like to take in a movie with me sometime, <laughs> which is not how you talk, but okay. So what was the plan there? Like to strike up a romantic relationship with her and then like reveal it like quirky, like you're not going to believe this, but I've actually been living in your attic since before you guys even moved in. <laughs> like, just over like, dinner. Oh, how romantic. And then, <laughs> like just yeah he's i mean obviously he's been living in the institution this whole you know up till this point yeah but no, she's it, like his common sense meter is just like not even close no not even there right uh, yeah so yeah when uh, you know the wife and the husband do reconcile and then he leaves with the kids to go pick up his stuff so he can move back in the house and that's when yeah gary Busey comes into this is fucking nutcase Gary Busey and uh, him and Michael McKeon get in a fight and I was like shit Gary Busey's fucking him up he's just like throwing him all over the house 
Yeah, that, that fight goes about as well as you expect the guy from Lethal Weapon fighting the guy from fucking... Well, now I can't think of a Michael McKeon role. But... Uh, better Call Saul. Or... Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how well that fight goes. That's exactly. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah. Um, but then the, the mom does such a good fucking job with the, the 80s superpower of I'm going to pretend I'm into this so that I can... <laughs> go along with it she's like packing a bag to go with him at this point she's pretty much like playing right along and i'm like good for her she really jumped on board with that superpower that all women in the 80s apparently had yeah and i'm just wondering like what his thought process is like oh this is gonna be great we're gonna go we're gonna leave she's like yeah fuck this family you know what fuck them let's let's just go let's go find our own house you're you're right yeah you can just find a different attic and build a little section of it that's big enough for two (laughs) Uh, it's so messed up (laughs) it is it's so weird and just messed up Uh, we mentioned he killed the exterminator he also killed her best friend who was going to stay with her for a weekend Yeah, that was fucked up and creepy when (laughs) Because he doesn't know she's there, so he's just like walking around the house in the in the dad's, the dad's robe, <laughs> dad's robe, or just doing whatever. And he walks to the living room, and she's there, and they're both like, "What the fuck?" And he tries to pass it off like, "Ah, I just uh, I watch the place when she's not home," thinking like, "Oh yeah, so every time she goes out of the house, she just calls Tom up. And he comes and sits at <laughs> the house." <laughs> Uh, luckily the friend doesn't buy it. I was like, uh, you need to go. Yeah. <laughs> and I know Gary Busey's mind. He's like, this is my fucking house, bitch. I was here before anybody. <laughs> I mean, squatters rights being what they are. Um, uh, so yeah. anyway, it is that death scene was pretty sad when he kills the best friend. Cause it's a real, like, uh, of mice and men type moment where he's just, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. He's just trying to get her to calm down and shut up. And he just ends up killing her. And he's like, Whoa, what'd I do? Which, like, I mean, you'd have a lot more sympathy for him if that was the first person he killed in the movie. Um, <laughs> no, the exterminator, when he fumigates the attic, <laughs> Gary Busey's, like, choking to death and just runs out. Like, blah, 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 and then just beats the shit out of him. Yeah. <sighs> and he just keeps burying all, all the key people he kills, he buries in the garden, by the way. <laughs> so, again, what's the long-term plan here? Yeah. <laughs> Because there is a moment where they find the dog, and that plays a little role. But mm-hmm. there's still two human bodies in that garden. But... Yeah, and I think she thought it was the creepy neighbor guy who, who killed the dog. She kind of thought maybe, yeah, she was looking up at him. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, another weird fucking movie, but I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah. There, like I say, there was some lazy filmmaking that went on that I... I just find kind of unacceptable. Um, I found two dates for this movie. It was 89 and 91. And it made me think that they made the movie in 89. And then they had to wait for the nineties where that level of lazy filmmaking became acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like that performance from Busey is just, it's something else. It's creepy as hell. And he's just, it makes it worth it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I just found, I just, looking at the IMDb, there's there's a quote here. This is, uh, you know, Gary Busey says, when I was your age, I used to have people hurt me all the time. And the kid says, so what happened? And he's, he pauses and says, they didn't hurt me anymore. 
just imagine Gary Busey saying that makes yeah. it like the creepiest thing in the entire world. It's yeah. It's, uh, it's 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 uh, it's upsetting to watch him do it. <laughs> just as a random, really nitpicking thing that upset me about this movie. You want to hear the most nitpicky thing you'll ever hear? Sure. So it's nineteen eighty nine to ninety one. So the kid wears like plaid shirts all the time. Mm-hmm. Every one of his plaid shirts has like got purple in it. And I'm like, who the fuck wears that much purple plaid? It's very upsetting. <laughs> He's got like four or five different shirts in this movie that are purple plaid, different varieties. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I honestly didn't even know that he no, was wearing why would, why, he was why would you plaid notice? Shirts. Didn't even notice the plaid shirts. So. Why would you notice? It doesn't make any sense to notice. <laughs> but fuck me. <laughs> Uh, all right. Anything else about Hyder in the house? No, it's it's another one's pretty good. A lot easier to find than the first movie. So yeah. if you're only gonna watch one movie, I like I probably preferred Bad Ronald because I just like that '70s atmosphere sure. more than the kind of late '80s, early '90s atmosphere for this type of movie. Um, but this one definitely had the bigger climax and stuff, and it has Gary Busey. So. Yeah. Which any time you say it has a Gary Busey should be, well, I should probably watch that just in yeah. case. If people are trying to decide whether or not to watch this movie, just look up the movie poster for it, and it's like, there's the f- people in front of a window, and then just Gary Busey's face looking in through the window, and you're like, oh. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Alright, we actually have two pieces of feedback, but I'm going to leave one of them for next week because it specifically uh, is talking to Noah. So I'll wait for him when he gets back. Should we though, or should we address it without him and then refuse to let him address it next week? <laughs> well, that's for, for being dicks anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, so the one we will read is our friend Brian says, uh, "Thanks for the trigger warning on Invincible." As soon as Doug mentioned the twist and spoiler warning, I immediately turned off the show and went and watched that first episode. And oh man, what an end! Yeah. I'm expecting Omni-Man to be a slightly less sociopathic, slightly more domesticated Homelander. Well, episode five just dropped, and see for yourself uh, what you think about that. So after watching that, I started the documentary about the creation of Image on Prime. Pretty interesting so far. Yes, I need to watch that documentary. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting story, because it's just a weird group of dudes getting together and creating Mm -hmm. a comic book company and yeah, I mean, complete. Just doing what artists want to do with no real thought to all the other business stuff that goes into it. <laughs> yeah, completely changed everything at the time for the better or worse, but yeah, something I need to definitely watch. I haven't watched yet. Uh, he says, also, I have a recommendation if you're interested. I started watching a show called Danger 5 on Prime, pretty much a live action Team America in which an international team of spies endlessly hunt down Hitler. It is insanely bizarre and hilarious. 
Also, her, have you heard of Gary Busey, pet judge? <laughs> yes, I said that right. Basically, people's court with Busey up there presiding over pet custody or some shit. As always, keep up the great work. I've heard of it. I have yeah. not dared myself to watch it yet. No, I, I, I'm not going to watch that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust Gary Busey to make proper pet judge decisions, and I don't want to know how bad he takes it. and part of me feels bad about stuff like that too because I feel like there's somebody behind Gary Busey that's just like propping him up for like money like I just feel like there's something going on that it's just like well if we get crazy Gary Busey to be up to get up there and be crazy on this pet judge show then like people watch it because he's Gary Busey and he's crazy but, but on the other hand he's crazy so I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, again, he referred to Hyder in the House as an anar role, meaning no acting required. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, he was doing that shit before his accident. Okay. So that was, that was again, principal photography finished five days before the accident. And he's like, no, I don't need to act. I can pretend to be a creepy guy living in an attic. <laughs> it's no well, issue. It's an accomplishment for me. He he does all these acronyms for stuff now. That's one of his crazy crazy bits that he does. But again, apparently it was happening before. Yeah. Weird ass guy. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember what we were talking about. It was a pet judge? Yeah. 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 yeah I don't know. I, I, sometimes I just feel bad. I feel like they're propping him up to be crazy, just to it's, make money. It's for- it's very plausible that he's being, he's the victim of some type of abuse, and I shouldn't just pr- pretend that that's not relevant. But, <laughs> um, uh, what are you going to do? I can't stop it. So yeah, seems like uh, Jake Busey should be doing something about that. Yeah, or maybe like maybe Jake knows what we don't know, which is like Gary's in on it all, and he's fine with everything that's gone on. Yeah. So possible. Like, Let's just hope with that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. All right, well, on to lighter matters. Uh, did you watch anything this week? Uh, I actually took your advice and watched some stuff. Well, that's so I watched uh, the, last, the last Blockbuster and Wolfman's Got Nards based on Ooh. your recommendations. Okay, I want to know your opinion on the last Blockbuster because I've had discussions with people... Because people keep like posting about how much they fucking hated it because it was like a puff piece about Blockbuster, but I don't see it that way. Um, it sort of is a puff piece about Blockbuster. There's no denying that. Mm-hmm. Like it, it kind of glosses over the fact that Blockbuster used some questionable business practices to dominate an industry, and now that industry is dead because of Blockbuster. Okay. But that's. But I feel like that's not was like that's not what the movie's about, right? Yeah, like it's, it's about something else. They just don't talk about the other stuff. Yes, they they ignore the downsides to Blockbuster and they play up the nostalgia for the video store and they talk about this family that's running the quote unquote the last Blockbuster, which mm-hmm. is fun. It is fun, uh, like the idea that they're 
just interviewing all these different people about what was it like and this idea that they've got this weird family that runs this store and we're just going to spend some time with them like it's it was fun i enjoyed it mm-hmm. you know kind of i enjoyed it for what it was uh, which was never meant to be like a hard-hitting documentary about the downfall of an industry yeah there could probably be a very good documentary about that as well that's not what they were trying to do here mm. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I like it. I just, I don't know. I feel like it's just more about video store culture, but I mean, they, you know, the store is a blockbuster store, so they kind of talk about that some, but I don't know. Other people are just going off, off on it about it being like just a giant love fest, a blockbuster. Yeah. Again, I, I do think it is kind of that. I also just, I don't know. You're not, like the, it's not meant to be like investigative journalism by any stretch of the imagination. It's meant to be yeah. a fun little nostalgia piece that kind of concentrates around this one store. And I, on that level, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. So right. I did have a really weird moment in it when they were interviewing Paul Shear, who's like a comedian, podcaster guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm like, he starts stories, and I'm like, oh, I know all these stories. Fuck, I consume way too much pop culture for my own good. Because <laughs> this guy's not even that famous, and I know his stories about when he used to work at Blockbuster. So now he's telling him in this documentary, and I'm like, can I just fast forward past him? Because I've heard him all a lot of times. <laughs> that's that's a problem with me, not a problem with the documentary. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I did like uh, Doug Benson just wandering around the store for a while. Yeah. <laughs> and he finds movies like that his friends are in and sends them pictures of it. And people are like, what? There's still a blockbuster? I don't know, man. I, I wish there was still a video rental store in my neighborhood. I would still go to it. I mean, I think there's still one or two in my town, but like, I'd have to get in my car and drive across town to go to them kind of thing. And covid may have killed them i don't know mm. but uh like i i don't know I, I wish i could still rent movies i do i want to say that i would do that but i have a pretty massive video collection and i sometimes i've been so lazy that i have not wanted to walk out of the living room to get my <laughs> dvd copy and have actually just paid three dollars to rent the movie oh that God. i was gonna watch because I was like, I don't want to deal with going in there and finding it in my collection. I was going to say that, like, yeah, I do stream stuff that I don't, that I own. And it seems silly, but... I'm not saying I've done it a lot. I'm saying it's happened at least twice. So I've never, I've never paid for a movie digitally just so that I wouldn't have to get up. Uh, not there yet. Someday. Time may come. Time may come. <laughs> So did you enjoy it, at least overall? Yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Good. But I definitely enjoyed Wolfman's Got Nards way more. Um, yeah. I, I, I think I messaged you, and I probably shouldn't even be saying this in a public forum, but I was watching this while I was working, with the whole idea being like, I'll just put it on the background, it's just a silly little documentary, I'll look up when a funny line happens kind of thing. I didn't get any work done while I was watching this documentary. I was fully absorbed in it, and I was loving it. Um, because it's just, what it really captures is 
what it's like to be a Monster Squad fan, which is that it's one of the few things that, even to this day, like, if you say Wolfman's got Nards, if somebody else in the room gets it, you're like, that guy. I'm going to go be friends with that guy. Because there's only two of us in this room full of people who understand what the fuck I'm talking about. You know? And it's... And back in the late 80s, 90s, like, every... and, and And up until the invention of the internet, it was such a weird world where you'd have to try to seek out these other people that understood the things you understood. And, you know... It's whether it was a zombie fighting a shark or Wolfman's got nards or whatever, you're like, you have to find other people who know what I'm talking about so I can be friends with them. And it's so hard because you can't you can't yell Wolfman's got nards in a room and isolate everybody else who's now not gonna want to be your friend just to find the one or two people who get it. And I thought this movie like it really captured that feeling of just like all these people who just all individually loved this movie and None of us really knew how many other people were out there that knew what the hell we loved. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt bad for Fred Decker in it when they're interviewing him. And he's like, like they, they want, they ask him one, like, what does monster squad mean to you? And he's like, I know this isn't the answer you want. But he's like, but a lot of this fan stuff doesn't matter because as much as I, he, he says, I love the movie, but the reaction I'm getting is 20 years after I made it. And he's like, it's so weird. He's like, somebody walks up to you 20 years after you made something and says, I love that. It's like, well, I'm kind of moved on from it. And you're like, no, but I feel like I feel like I want to go. No, you don't understand. We loved it the whole time. We just didn't know how to tell you back then. Like, there was, yeah. there, what was I going to do in 1987 when I brought this home from the video store? Was I going to, like, write you a letter? telling you how much I like your movie like it, yeah. it doesn't make any sense right whereas nowadays there is this sort of perpetual feedback between artists and audiences that just mm-hmm. never existed before well I've heard him on some podcasts and unfortunately I feel like he's just a very matter of fact guy who doesn't well, seem to revel in nostalgia at all so I think that would just be him even if we did tell him 20 years later or 20 years before but he was just like, eh. But then I made RoboCop 3 and I wasn't allowed to make movies anymore. So, fuck yeah. the movie industry. Like, that's how I feel like he kind of thinks about it sometimes. Well, there's definitely, like, interviewing him, he doesn't have that kind of artist's passion when he talks. Like, he's very yeah. much like... Like, you can tell he cares about the movie, but it's also like he's just explaining it to you rather than getting excited. And he's not... Mm-hmm. You know, which is fine. Like, that's just who he is as a person. And obviously, like, he made a great movie that is, like, I don't know. Like, Monster Squad means, like, a lot to me because, yeah. because a lot, a lot, because, you know, not just because I loved it as a kid and because I still love it now, <laughs> but because it was one of those things that I have friends that I'm friends with because, you know, we were the only two people in the room who knew what Wolfman's Got Nards means. And, you know, I remember. <laughs> I have this very, very fond memory of, you know, before this movie was available, like going with one of my friends, one of my only friends that knew about the movie, and we went to a convention, and he found a bootleg copy of it, and he, he bought it up, and we went back to his place, and we watched it, and the next day, we go to the convention center again, and I'm looking for a new copy, and they don't have another one. And I waited an entire fucking year for that convention to come around again. <laughs> and went back in and like day one, 
right to that same booth and started going through his stuff and found a bootleg copy of it for myself and I still have that and you know yes I you know there's other ways to watch it that are higher quality and I own the, I own it on Blu-ray um, but I love owning that that bootleg copy because that's a piece of just that was just a special moment yeah. getting to see that movie after so long of not being able to because just VHSs were out of print and there wasn't another way to watch it right oh yeah totally so. no I totally get that it's like this because I mean you know I rented it like every weekend for like a year probably yeah and so it's one of those movies that at that time you just love it to death and then it literally just disappears. Yeah. Like there's no like oh I'll just pull out my copy or whatever. It's just literally is just gone. Yeah, it was, it was sort of like lost in this weird era where not every movie got a large VHS release. Mm-hmm. Like you you know like some movies you'd go in and you could buy a copy for $25 or something or you could rent it and when you went to the rental shelf there'd be 10 but a lot of movies there was just one copy on the rental shelf and unless the store decided to sell their used copy there was no way to buy it like that's just how it was yeah so yeah so then when when you start like because for us we're pretty pretty close to the same age so you know the movie comes out you rent it a shit ton of times and then it sort of disappears and you probably would be like what 11 12 when it disappears something like that yeah yeah and then uh about 15 years goes by and you don't like you don't get it you don't get to watch it and you're just like what the fuck and then you start doing that thing where you're reminiscing like oh with somebody like do you remember that movie where the it's sort of like the goonies but there's like monsters in it and then you're like oh fuck i want to watch that movie and then you realize like oh fuck that you can't watch that movie like what the hell are you going to do? And you just kind of have to live with it in your memory. Yeah. It was super... Like, again, it's so weird because that just doesn't... That can't happen anymore. Now you yeah. just, like... We decided to watch Bad Ronald this week, and we did. It's a made-for-TV <laughs> movie from years before we were born. Like, it's... You know, it's... <laughs> yeah. And then when it finally comes out, you're just like, well, I have to own it. So you immediately go buy it, and then you're like, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid to watch it, because it was amazing, but, again, I was like 10 when it came out. But then you watch it again, you're like, oh, thank God, it's still fantastic, it's still amazing. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's the thing, is like, then when you watch Monster Squad, you're like, oh my God, look at that portrayal of the Universal Monsters, that's a fantastic update on those characters. Um, you know, that Wolfman character is genuinely sympathetic. I can't believe they did that. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, you, you get excited about it on a whole different level when you watch it as an adult. And mm-hmm. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. I totally. Love totally. And then like all this other stuff ends up factoring into it. And like, you learn about, uh, the kid who played fat kid and the fact that he died, like, five I, years after the movie was made i really did feel bad for him like you know yeah it's and when they were all talking about like how they wish he could have been there to see the reaction that they were getting because he never got to experience that because none of them did right mm-hmm. and i'm like yeah, yeah that is really kind of sad and when they have just like i think it was his mom that they were interviewing and she's like oh he would have liked this he would have you know he would have really appreciated that everybody else was enjoying this mm-hmm. and it's like oh fuck yeah, and then he got to he got to be like you know, the uh, 
I don't know what you would call it, but like he gets that hero moment where he yeah. fucking cocks the shotgun and says, "My name is Horace," and then everybody's like, "Damn right, fuck that!" Like he's gonna tell all these kids that are making fun of him at the beginning of the movie to go fuck themselves. Like this is amazing. That's like definitely like as somebody who was picked on in school, as a fat kid that was picked on in school, mm-hmm. you know, I relate to that and that idea of having everybody go, "Oh shit, no, you're you're important." you matter is kind of a big deal that most kids never get most bullied kids never get right so mm-hmm. most of us the best we can hope for is a rudy to show up and chase the other guys off <laughs> oh I'm fucking rudy i love Thank that you. movie i need to go watch macho squad when this is over i put it in yeah. after i watched this and then i fell asleep watching it and i'm like i, I want to watch it again but i just i just kind of half watched it and I'm like i don't know what to do <laughs> Because I think that's probably what, like, everybody loves Wolfman's Got Nars. I mean, obviously, they made an entire documentary with that, that's the title, but. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, just that scene towards the end where it's like, oh, shit, here come all the, the girl vampires. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? And you see Rudy just start walking. Everybody's like, what are you doing? And then he just spits out that line. He's like, I'm in the goddamn club, aren't I? And I'm just like, oh my god, it's so amazing. I fucking love it. I love it. The best thing about that is that when I was a kid, I took that as, like, stone cold serious. I thought he was such a badass. And now I watch it and I realize that he is, like, a parody of it, right? Like, he's doing, they're doing, they're clearly doing that on purpose. And it's it's really well done. But it it works on that, again, it works on that, and now it's on, like, an adult level. But, oh. Fuck, I love that movie. Yeah, it's so good. Oh yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not even remotely ashamed to admit that I got a little misty eyed when I watched Wolfman Got Nards by the end. Yeah. And it's just like it's just all these people talking about like, oh my god, this movie meant so much to me and like you know, other people sharing their experience and then like all their like collectibles and shit that they've pretty much yeah. made because there's been no real merchandise for the movie. No, other no. Than posters. No, I've, I've like I've literally got a copy of a Rumorg magazine with the Monster Squad on the cover hanging on my wall because that's like all I ha- all I could find ever of Monster Squad. Like it's the only thing I ever found, and I'm like, yeah, I want that. So it's framed and hanging over there. Yeah. So, so yeah, Wolfman's got nards. If you're ever curious about, well, if you love the Monster Squad and just kind of want to relive sort yeah. of what it was like to love that movie and then have it disappear, then than the people that are involved with it. I, I find it interesting. I, I've never understood it, but then I try to like stand back and look at it from like my perspective that I find these things and I love them so much. And then the people who worked on the movie, you know, would tell you like, I didn't even think anybody remembered that movie. You know, I hadn't even thought about it in like 20 years. And then all of a sudden found out everybody loves that movie. And part of me is like, how, how could you not know? But I guess I just... It's just... It's, a, it's such a strange phenomenon. It can't happen anymore. It, mm-hmm. It's it's an old phenomenon that used to happen, and it can't anymore, where fans love something, but just because of weird market factors, nobody actually... It's not registering in a way that makes the studio understand that fans love it. Mm-hmm. You know? I did get super annoyed when they brought up the fact that like Lost Boys kind of crushed Monster Squad and ruined his <laughs> yeah. chances at the box office because I already blame Lost Boys for 
uh, near dark not being more financially successful. <laughs> I'm super fucking like as much as I want to love Lost Boys, I'm super fucking pissed at that movie for ruining all my favorite things from 1987. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but it's weird. I guess now that I'm thinking about, it, I got to experience that sort of thing in re- I want to say in real life, but like at a convention. The, uh, you know, I didn't even know anybody even liked this movie sort of thing. So one of the very first conventions I went to was Flashback Weekend up in Chicago. I'd been to a couple before, but this was the first where I was going all out. Because, you know, I love a Nightmare. They're having a giant Nightmare on Elm Street reunion. And I absolutely, like, that's one of my favorite movies ever. So... We, you know, me and my wife, we're both huge Nightmare on Elm Street fans, so we got, like, the super VIP, you know, tickets or whatever, um, which at the time were, like, $150, and we're like, oh, my God, this is so expensive <laughs> to be going and stuff like this for $150. But at the time, that got you, like, a free movie, a free, like, staged picture with Robert England and Heather Langenkamp. It was like in front of like a boiler set, nice. uh, you know, with like, you know, you'd walk in, they'd take your picture and then, you know, next person walk in and then the next day you get your picture, uh, free autograph from both Robert England and Heather Lane camp. Like, a, you know, you essentially turned in like a red ticket that you got with your ticket and yeah. whatever. So you got all this stuff that was way worth $150. Now, nowadays it's almost just $150 just to go in general. Which is disappointing. Uh, but they're having this giant reunion. Fucking everybody was there. Charles Charles Fleischer was there. The guy who did the voice of Roger Rabbit. <laughs> because he played the doctor at the sleep clinic in the very first movie. All right. <laughs> so he was... Go. That's there. trivia I wouldn't have known. Yeah. So, but he's like a stand-up comedian and stuff, and then of course, like his big moneymaker was he became the voice of Roger Rabbit. So he was heavily involved with all that stuff, and so I'm just like, why the fuck is this dude? And he's a weird guy anyway. But so like everybody was there, people from the sequels. Like Amanda had a picture taken with all the Dream Warriors, which was fucking awesome. And that's fucking cool. Yeah. So I mean, there's just this was like a, a super fantastic convention. So. You know, we went to all the panels and stuff, and the guy who played Rod, Tina's boyfriend in the first movie, yeah. apparently this was the first convention he had ever gone to. And he, you know, so somebody asked him a question, and he starts talking, and he's like, he's like, I'm sorry, this whole weekend's just been blowing my mind. He's like, I understood that the film was popular, but I've just never been to anything like this where everybody just loves this movie so much. Like, he was... He was like, it kind of just blew his mind. He just had no idea that stuff like this existed. And even for a movie like Nightmare on Elm Street, where you would think, like, well, everybody knows. I mean, they've made, you know, seven of those movies now. But for him, it was just like, yeah, he hadn't even had no idea that stuff like this happened, that people, you know, loved any movie, sort of as much as, like, all these people did. So... It's just interesting, I guess, if you're involved with something, how you don't quite see the see it to completion, I guess. Like, you work on it, and then you kind of go away, and then I guess it goes out of the world, and people just have no idea, like, where it goes from there. I guess. I mean, I get, yeah. 
I mean, I guess if you're big, if you're higher up in the movie industry, you're, you know, you're the star of the movie, you're out there yeah. doing the press, you're following up on the numbers and stuff, but if you're not, I guess you're just... Yeah, I don't know. Whatever you hear, you hear, right? Yeah. It's just something I don't get. I don't get, I've never got it, but I try to, like, think about it, I guess, that way, but... Yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting. So, if you're interested in stuff like that, you should definitely check out Wolfman's Gun Nerds, because they talk about shit like that. <laughs> That's our second, like, 20-minute discussion about that documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's so good. Like I, I love the part where they go to the hospital to visit the guy who was supposed to come to a screening, but yeah, couldn't. Which they never said what happened, but no. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what would happen if I was supposed to go to a screening and then the next day the Monster Squad walked into my hotel room. I'd be like, what the fuck? It is one of the weird things about the movie being that much older and none of the actors really being particularly famous is that I, I wouldn't recognize any of them. So it's kind of weird. Like if they all walked in, I'd just be like, uh, "Hey guys, how's it going?" And they're like, "We're the Monster Squad." And you're like, "You are? How do I know that's true?" Uh, God, it's so good. Yep. I might have to go watch the Monster Squad before I go to bed. Maybe I'll lay in bed and watch it. That's a good idea. Oh, it's a mistake I made, though. So. <laughs> uh, what else did you watch? Uh, I don't know. Complete, complete uh, topic change. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you remember the 1993 thriller The Good Son, starring Macaulay Culkin? Uh, I I, that needed a rewatch this week. Uh, I know of it. I've never actually watched it. You never watched it? So, okay, so the plot is Elijah Wood plays a little guy whose mom just died, and his dad has to go out out of the country for work or something. So his dad drives him, like, out to some small town to leave him with, like, some cousins and stuff that he doesn't know very well for a couple of weeks. And they have a son the same age, which is Macaulay Culkin. Mm -hmm. And it eventually we start to realize Macaulay Culkin is not actually a good son. The name of the movie was very misleading. Oh. And he starts doing very terrible things. So he's built his own like crossbow that shoots with these bolts and he kills a dog just uh, cause I know that'll upset you. Well, might be one of the few things that'll turn you against uh, Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> um, he causes car accidents. He's got an all around bad demeanor. Eventually, it's revealed that he may or may not have killed a, a little brother they have. Um, and that starts to become a plot line. So the, the tension all starts coming to a head when Elijah Wood's like realizing this and trying to convince other people that this kid's evil, but nobody else wants to believe it because he was in Home Alone. So, <laughs> uh, But he stopped the wet bandits. He can't be that evil. So yeah, it ends up like with this, you know, this climax where like the mob, both boys are fighting on a cliff, which is kind of hilarious because like your climax of your big tense movie is two like twelve year olds fighting, <laughs> and it's not nearly as violent as a fight from Hider in the House. 
but you know, eventually, and, and this is a spoiler alert, but eventually the mom is forced to pick between saving the good kid or her own son, who's the evil one. And she, mm-hmm. lets, her own, she lets her own son fall to the death. And I was just completely not prepared for this because they're like hanging over a cliff over the ocean. And she like lets him fall. And you're like, okay. And she's like, brings the other kid up and they're hugging. And then we get the overhead shot, and there's like dead Macaulay Culkin laying bleeding on the rocks, and the waves are going over him, pulling him out to the ocean. And I'm like, oh shit, I was not prepared for dead Macaulay Culkin shot. <laughs> Thought they'd pull away from that in this like movie, but <laughs> no, they they needed to they needed to get that in, I guess. So, can you imagine that court case? I God, <laughs> so ma'am. Are you telling me your son was dangling off a cliff and you decided not to save him? Well, I saved my nephew. No, no. Nephew by marriage, ma'am. Nephew by marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Good lord. Yeah. There's also a whole weird subplot where Elijah Wood thinks that his mom's spirit is taking over the spirit of his aunt, and I don't understand why that's in the movie, and I don't want to talk about it. But making, I'm making you aware that it's there. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't like it. But you get to see Macaulay Culkin being real creepy, and I like that. So <laughs> it's so hard because it's like they do like a lot of the typical stuff where like he smokes. That's how you know he's a bad kid. Mm. But then you get to watch Macaulay Culkin smoke, and you're like, I don't. He shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> he's, come on, Kevin. No smoking for you. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the movie would probably be terrible if it weren't for the fact that it's Elijah Wood and Macaulay Culkin who are both good child actors, which there aren't very many of. Um, so thank goodness they got them. But yeah, it's a, it's a. Again, if you like '90s thrillers, it's a, it's a solid one. It, it's just kind of fun to have these children being the protagonist and antagonist of the film. Hmm. So, sorry, I yeah. just saw a headline where Sylvester Stallone apparently has joined uh, Mar Largo. So he's wow. out Trump. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I need to watch the movie at some point, but just haven't done it yet. Alright. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Watch it, don't watch it. It's a 90s thriller, so it has all... all like we, we just did an episode about 90s thrillers, and we pointed out how everything that's wrong with standard 90s thrillers, that's wrong with this movie. But everything that's good about standard 90s thrillers, also good about this movie, so... Hmm. Uh, what's the other thing I watched? Oh, I watched the, uh, the Hills Have Eyes remake from 2006. Yeah. I don't think I've seen... I'm trying to think. I don't think, believe I've seen it since theaters. And there's not a good reason why I haven't watched it since theaters. And that's what got me thinking, like, geez, why haven't I seen that since theaters? I better watch it. Well, should you tell, because from what I read on your Instagram, there's a story behind why you ended up yeah. watching it. <laughs> yeah, so we're in, like, full lockdown mode here, so there's not a lot of social interaction going on. Mm-hmm. But we're allowed to go for walks. And so, I like, I've been meeting friends for walks. And it was literally, like, somebody brought up The Hills Have Eyes. And I started talking to them about it. Like again, one of those like Monster Squad moments where I'm excited that somebody brought up this thing, and I'm like, "How do you know about that?" And it was only after a couple of minutes where I'm like, "Wait, 
which version of the movie are we talking about? And they didn't even know there was an original version. Oh, no. It's so it was like, oh, come on, man. Like, that's upsetting. Like, no, you, you went and you ruined my fun. I only get <laughs> allowed to go on so many walks a day and you're taking this one away from me i was like I'm super annoyed <laughs> and then it was like only like after i got home that i'm like i actually think i might have liked that remake i haven't seen it it's <laughs> 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 like fresh yeah. in the middle of that hiking trail <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't remember not enjoying it but so it's yeah yeah it's really a good version of a remake where it's kind of the same story, really kind of just told in a more modern setting, you know, a bigger budget and better special effects and all Mm. that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah. From, for some reason, I remember when I saw it, I thought, Oh, the idea of these people living on a, uh, an old, like, you know, missile range or whatever was was interesting and a lot of fun yeah it's i mean uh, it just gives a reason for them to be all fucked up basically yeah they're all mutated and then i rewatched the original and realized like oh they're not really super fucked up in the original one i mean they got michael berryman to kind of think to kind of imply that they're fucked up but that's like as yeah. as fucked up as it gets yeah he's not even um, like make up make up doctor and he's just michael berryman yeah, yeah. So, I, I kind of like the angle of all these people that are mutated because of the radiation and stuff. Yeah. It just, and it just again, it just kind of gives an excuse to have them be all mangled and shit, and, mm-hmm. and it also gives them a motivation for everything they do because we actually get one of them giving a speech about how the outside world came in and like try to tell us to leave, and then when our people decided not to leave, you dropped bombs on us anyway. And, you know, like, this is what turned us into this, and now you expect us to have sympathy for you and not eat your child? Like, no. No. So, um, yeah. But, I mean, it's... There's lots of good blood and guts and gore. The tension in the atmosphere is really good. It has the typical, like, 80s-ish plot, where the one guy's, like, a pacifist, and then he... uh, <laughs> has to learn how to kill everybody in order just to become the hero of the movie. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd recommend if people haven't seen it or haven't seen it since theaters, it's worth a rewatch. It holds up quite well. It's mm. Alexander Aja, which means that I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. But uh, mm-hmm. it means the climax doesn't necessarily feel like it's kind of a climax. I, I find that's true with almost all of his movies that I've seen. It's like it kind of feels like oh that's just, that's the part of the story we're at now. And in this case, you do end up with like like they're not saved at the end. They're still just stranded in the desert. But I guess they killed all the bad guys or whatever, or enough of the bad guys and got the baby back, kind of thing. Hmm. It's you know what I mean. And yeah. Like, oh well, is that the end of the story? Okay. Yeah. No follow up. I mean, it fits in with these movies we've been talking about lately, like, where yeah, it's just. Yeah. Bad guy vanquished, roll credits. Don't need any sort of follow-up questions. Yeah. So it's like, again, yeah. like. Um, I yeah. never did see the second one. I, I think I'm going to watch it this week. I was actually debating yeah. watching it tonight, but I didn't. Um, so I may tell you whether it's good or not next week. I can't remember if I saw it or not either. 
Yeah, I remember not see. I didn't see it, but one thing I loved is that apparently a theater down here in the states was playing. Uh, uh, what the, was it? Peter Cottontail, that fucking animated like Easter movie. Okay. Yeah. And a theater full of kids, and they accidentally showed the first five minutes of Hills Have Eyes Two instead. That's awesome. And I'm like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Never tell you about the time <laughs> when I was like, I was around 12, and the sports channel accidentally just broadcast hardcore porn at like 7 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this. It was like this amazing moment because, like back then, again, pre-internet, every little boy in Canada got up before school and watched the hockey highlights to see what happened in last night's game. That's what we were all going to talk about at school the next day. And every little boy in my town got up turned on TSN and watched porn for a few minutes until either mom walked in the room or something else happened. And then it was just like, that was at school. It was just like, did you guys watch sports this morning? And they're all like, do you watch sports desk? Yeah, I tried, but it didn't work. And eventually we realized we'd all seen porn that morning. It was like one of those happy moments in our lives. And I bet for like years, you're like, that was the best morning of my life. Yeah. like Fucking porn. It was a very big deal. I don't remember what the hell I saw, to be honest, but, you know, I remember, I remember being excited that I got to see it. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, no, that's it for me. What about you? Uh, I didn't really watch anything. <clears throat> All right. This week, I was working on a bunch of shit. Uh, watched Invincible episode five. Show still going good. Still enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I think that, and we're gonna have this problem. I assume we're gonna do some Falcon and Winter Soldier talk here too, and it's gonna be the yeah. same problem of like, yeah, there's some neat stuff that happened and all that, but it's not. It's not Wandavision. It's not something completely different every week that we can have a full discussion on. You know. Yeah. Um. So I watched that. What else did I watch? I finished up the documentary series that's on HBO here called Q Into the Storm. Oh. Following this guy trying to figure out all this QAnon stuff, like sort of as it was happening. Yeah, it sounds fun. Uh, yeah, QAnon people are fucking nuts. So I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not even it's not even worth really like going into details about, but. It was just interesting uh, if you want to learn sort of where QAnon came from and yeah. sort of what was going on as it was kind of happening leading up to January 6th. Uh, it's an interesting series to watch. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm at the point where I like I don't even think I do want to learn that. Just <laughs> too fucked up. Nah, that's all right. Uh it did make me reflect on how I think about politics since January. And I realized, like, oh, I don't really think about politics that much anymore. It's so nice not having to worry about, you know, some orange guy blowing shit up because someone said he was ugly or something. Yeah. Not until 2024, anyway. <laughs> exactly. Although I've heard uh, Trump is cosplaying as himself currently. That apparently all he does is dress up, like, in, the, in his usual golf outfit. <laughs> And then just wanders around Mar a Largo uh, taking pictures with people. That sounds right. <laughs> because that's all he that's all he does now. 
think. What else have I watched? I haven't really watched any movies lately. I need to uh, sit down and watch something. Since I started this part-time job, I've just had, like, a bunch of weird shit to do. Because I'm trying to do all this writing stuff, and then, you know, I'm training for this job that I've had before, so I know a lot of it, but, you know, I'm training, so I kind of have to be that... uh, yeah. attentive like oh yeah yeah totally yeah show me how to do this I definitely am interested in all this stuff you're talking about where in reality I just want to get to by myself so that I can just bring my laptop in and do whatever the fuck I want while uh, no one else is there. that's reasonable but uh yeah I'm trying to think of cause you know since I'm training I'm working a bunch of weird days so like on Thursday and Friday nights I work and then I gotta get up and work at like 7am on Saturday quick turnaround so that's no fun so then by the time i get done with work on saturday i'm pretty exhausted so i'm like well i don't want to watch anything i have to pay attention to because you know kind of tired and then it just snowballs well if it makes you feel any better i'm in the middle of a well not even the middle of i start my two-day work week tomorrow it's, it's spring break here now so how dare you we uh, our genius government moved our spring break till now, so that I guess they wanted it to be in the middle of the third wave of COVID, so that <laughs> you like here's spring break, everything's closed. Good luck with your kids. Have fun. It's like fuck. Man, um, so I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I mean, me and my wife watch a bunch of TV stuff. We watch The Connors, which is the Roseanne spinoff, oh, if you yeah. want to call it that. Uh, they brought Daniel Harris' character back this week. Yeah. I've, I've never seen the show, but I follow her on Instagram. She was very excited to go back. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, she was on it for a while back in the heyday, and they brought her character back for an episode. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that's about it. I haven't watched no. jack right. shit otherwise. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Did you spend some time picking movies for us to watch next week? I did, though. So next week, we, we were talking about people hiding in houses. Um, <laughs> did you find more? No, no, no. I'm saying this week. So next week, I decided to do something completely different. Uh, we're going to watch a couple cyberpunk movies. Um, first up, we're going to watch Keanu Reeves and Johnny Mnemonic. Okay. And then we're going to watch Lori Petty and uh, Tank Girl. I've yeah. never seen either of these movies start to finish. Oh, well, here we go. The weird connective tissue that I thought about after I put them on the list is they both have iced tea in them. So oh. we'll say it's an iced tea week, I guess. <laughs> Completely unintentionally, but it seemed to work out. Whatever. Close enough. Uh, if anything else, I just kind of want to watch Johnny Mnemonic again. I fucking loved that movie when it came out. Not a lot of other people did, but it's got a pretty uh, amazing cast, though. Does that have like a dolphin in it? Am I mistaken? No, it does have a dolphin in it. Okay. I, again, uh, having not seen it, that's the what I remember people talking about it. <laughs> but it's got uh, Keanu Reeves in it. Uh, Dina Myers, who was in a couple of the Saw movies. Uh, Ice-T, as I mentioned. Henry Rollins is in it. Uh, Dolph Lundgren shows up at one point. 
Uh, I'm pretty impressed with that cast. I won't lie to you. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's Keanu at kind of his peak cheesy Keanu in the nineties. So, um, be prepared for some stiff acting. Uh, I like action movie Keanu though. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's, I'm trying to think, is this, yeah, I guess there is some decent action in it. It's not, it's definitely not John wick, but I mean, or the matrix, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's fun. I find it fun. And I've never actually watched Tank Girl, so this ought to be interesting. Yeah. I've seen parts of Tank Girl and uh, hopefully be in the right mood to watch it when it comes on, because I think it's kind of like one of those cheesy, kind of quote-unquote quirky movies. So yeah, if it works for you, great. But if not, it could be a long haul. So (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, the thing I remember about Johnny Mnemonic because I bought it on the VHS is the part of the cassette cover where his head is at because of the movie he's a data courier so you essentially and they'll check this out Doug the, in the far flung future of whatever year this takes place in that I'm sure we've long passed since then uh, people have uh, could put like a hard drive in their head and you can hire them to download information into their head and then they will go and deliver it to whatever destination you pay them to get to because apparently you you couldn't send it over the internet for whatever reason yeah you'd hate to email it it's way easier to put it in someone's head and have them bike across town or whatever yeah Um, and of course Keanu gets a hold of some information that's super important and crazy and people try to kill him for it so that sounds right yeah so it's it's a lot of fun i haven't watched it so anyway so this vhs case you uh you buy it and like the part where like his forehead is because it's just a picture of his face is clear and then the video cassette is like the actual plastic on the video cassette was orange so when you put it in the case it would just make it orange i don't know why that's a big thing but at the time, I had never seen an orange video cassette before, so I was like, "What the fuck? This is crazy." <laughs> it seems like you were easily amused at the time. Uh, That's what I maybe. That. Maybe, if no was here, I'd be like, "No, I'm about to blow your mind." <laughs> it has an orange video cassette. Uh, so next week, cyberpunk type movies i'm calling it a cyberpunk and i'm sure somebody who's actually into cyberpunk would be like that's not even close to cyberpunk i'd be like yeah well as far as what do you... concern, that just means a better reason to call it cyberpunk <laughs> like what do you expect from this show uh all right falcon and the winter soldier for this week um i don't even remember what the fuck happened in this show uh yeah i mean the, the big moment obviously is at the end but it's just, the plot line is that oh, they're yeah. trying to take down that uh, redheaded girl whose name I can't remember. Yeah. Flag Smashers. Mm-hmm. And basically, Falcon wants to, is recognizing that she's a bit sympathetic and wants to take her in kind of quietly. And New Cap does not want to. He just figures burst in and take control of the scene. Um, oh, we get to watch New right. Cap get his ass beat a couple of times, by, once by Super <laughs> Soldiers and once by the Wakandans. Uh, which pushes him over the edge and he finally just uh, steals some serum and turns himself into a super soldier and it turns out Zemo was right 
power does in fact corrupt uh, the way you know, both Zemo and George Orwell told us that, you know, the more power you have, the more corrupt you'll become. And Cap immediately just decides to beat a guy to death with his shield <laughs> in front of everybody, which is apparently frowned upon. That's the impression I get is that they're going to see that as a negative. But we get that glorious, like, upward shot of him standing there in, like, perfect cap form, holding the shield covered in blood. And I'm like, yep, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so he's super soldier now. Yep. Which is uh not a good thing. No, I mean but they're finally moving ahead this with the storyline of having him go bad. And I think they did a good job of showing him, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, but he just keeps getting knocked back. He just keeps getting knocked back. He can't compete with these like he, a normal human being can't just step up and compete with the people he's got to compete with in order to be Captain America. So mm-hmm. he does what he thinks he needs to to do the right thing, and it causes him to go over the edge into doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is good to finally start seeing him crack, especially after... What the fuck's his name? Battlestar? Yeah. After he uh, is dead... I'm pretty sure he's dead. Do we determine he's dead or at least super paralyzed? I think he's dead. I, I, they better not kill off another sidekick character. And then it turns out he's just paralyzed because they already did that. (laughs) Civil war. And it's like, considering this is effectively a continuation of the Captain America movie series. You can't just do that again later on in the sequel. It's like, we don't kill sidekicks. We just uh, paralyze them and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's dead. If or dead d- d- by you know comic book standards, where it's entirely mm-hmm. plausible that could be brought back to life with uh, cybernetics or yeah, magic or super serum. Soul is like if they have some a little bit left over, they can give it to him and it brings him back to life, but doesn't give him the full power or yeah, something. I mean, they they could do something. I hope they don't. I really hope they're not just going to cut to, you know, he's in a hospital somewhere, very, very disappointed in Cap. Like, I, I would not want that. Uh, so, yeah, two episodes left. Yep. Yeah, it's getting up to the good stuff. Like, it's been good so far, but. Yeah, again, I. It, it, it really is just. Uh, I like this stuff. I can understand if there's people who don't. Like there might very well be people who don't, this isn't their favorite version of Marvel, but it is the stuff I like. So I'm really happy to see it um, progressing as well as it is. It's good. Like you mentioned before, it's just not as exciting to talk about on a podcast as uh, like WandaVision was and stuff. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. Like multiple times through the episode, me and my wife will just turn and look at each other like, Ooh, what the fuck? So So yeah, when he went when he went crazy with the shield, she just looked at me like, "Damn!" And I'm like, "Yep, he's losing it." Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where they go with with John Walker, like how far they're going to go. Yeah. And stuff. So there was some cool uh, some cool action sequences in this week's episode that we could maybe talk about for a sec. Like the Wakandans yeah. apparently have always just had a backup plan to knock Bucky's fake arm off. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell? 
We got to watch Falcon do a little bit more fighting, which was fun too. The way he uses his wings, not just to fly, but to like smack people with, I really enjoy. <laughs> and the fact that like because they're whatever the whatever the term is, like they're robot wings, they mm-hmm. fucking can knock a super soldier flying when he can't, right? Like he, he doesn't have that power. So it kind of gives puts him in that fight in the way that New Cap can't. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh yeah, it was it was good. I'm really liking it. Have you seen they released like a trailer for like the next couple episodes, like just sort of a you know coming up on the rest of this season sort of situation? And uh, looks like we're gonna get some pretty awesome throwdowns between yeah New Cap and uh, Bucky and Falcon. Yeah, it's uh, and it looks like I'm trying to figure out if those are flashback scenes to Falcon training with the shield so that when the, when it comes into play he'll just be able to use it. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I interpreted it, but I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah. Um so pretty excited for it. Can be good. Yeah. Totally on board. Yeah. Uh yeah, I'm super happy with the way the show's gone. I I and I I still just like the characters too. Mhm. That moment yeah. when uh, Bucky is like, when Falcon's like, maybe you should do something when when New Cap is getting beat up by the Wakandas, and he goes, "Look at strong, John." And he just turns like, "See, I, I helped." See. Uh, yeah. No, I was so pissed. Like, like uh, Falcon was so close to getting her to like. Maybe not turn herself in, but just like, you know, calm down for a second. And then he just comes barging in and fucking everything up. And I'm like, God damn it. I was so mad. Well, it's funny because like up until this episode, you could argue that, yeah, maybe he is kind of the good guy. He is the one with the legal authority to be doing some of the stuff that they're all doing where the other guys Mm -hmm. don't necessarily have that and stuff. And it's like, okay, but then here you see him like, okay, look, he's fucking it up. He's, you know what I mean? He's do he's trying to be the action hero and he's ruining it and he's causing more problems than he's solving. So now we know he's the bad guy. And I think yeah. they did a good job of that. Yeah, they did a real good job with that. Uh, here's something that's interesting. Have you been reading any of the stuff online about the pandemic storyline that was edited out of this show? <laughs> no. And how they so do you remember back when the show was being like first produced and there were t- there was talk there would be a pandemic storyline and then they're like oh shit we better not put that in because that might seem insensitive all things considered. Um, no, I don't. I like, don't think I heard that. Yeah, so I heard about that back in the day, and then somebody reminded me of it. One of the when I say somebody, I mean one of the YouTube videos or podcasts I was listening to reminded me of that. So I tracked down like a video about it, and it's. It is interesting. Like we, if you think about it, like the flag smashers were stealing vaccines at one point in this show, and it's like they don't address vaccines to what? Like, what, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. really make sense. And so I suspect, based on like the the couple of different theories I've heard, what I think is that they were going to be considered a much more sympathetic group of villains at one point because they would have literally been stealing vaccines from the rich to give out to poor people to save people's lives quite literally in the midst of a pandemic 
and I think they're not as sympathetic now because they had to remove that element from the storyline. Mm. So I, th- I'm just wondering how different would the show be if that's what the Flag Smashers were doing, rather than you know, mm. this sort of obscure we want things to be the way they were before type narrative. If they were actually, yeah. you know, physically saving life, I think it would change the show quite a bit and make it a lot more interesting. It'd become a lot harder to decide who's the good guy and who's the bad guy in every scene. So do you know, did they have to reshoot a bunch of stuff or did they just edit around stuff? Well, I don't know anything. I've only seen different theories, but apparently... What I've seen is there is, if I can find one of the videos, I might even share it to the Facebook page or something so everyone else will know what I'm talking about. But there's apparently a lot of like, like that, the uh, older woman that died that mm-hmm. the Flag Smashers were there to mourn. Yeah. Um, like she dies of tuberculosis, but evidently, if you watch it, in, they never say that on camera. You hear the word tuberculosis like <laughs> off camera because it was like added in ADR kind of thing. Um, and stuff like that where people are picking up on like well she probably died so no I don't think they reshot a lot of stuff I think it's a matter mm. of editing stuff out of the show yeah I'm wondering if that's why we get a six episode season I thought that was kind of an odd number of episodes but yeah it could have yeah. been that it was supposed to be eight or something and yeah. by pulling that. a plot line out we're shortening things down hmm. interesting uh, I did see someone posted a picture of that lady's funeral. Yeah. And they said, shout out to Jay Muse for being the first one to show up to pay his respects. And then posted That's... a screenshot of a dude, sure enough, wearing like a like a beanie and like long blonde hair and stuff who yeah. kind of looks like Jay Muse. <laughs> and, and of course, Jay Muse retweeted it on Twitter. It was pretty funny. Yeah, it did look pretty funny. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so good episode. Looking forward to the last two. Uh, then we gotta wait till June for Loki. There's gotta be something in between, isn't there? Well, Loki starts in June. This ends in what, two weeks? So that'll be yeah. the oh, yeah, so we might have like a month, a little over a month with nothing. If if there's that long, that helps to support our random theory about them cutting back the number of episodes. <laughs> Yeah, probably helps. Um, where... I know your audio is cutting out just like it did at the end of last week's show. Yeah, <laughs> fucking bumped. I bumped the wire now. Okay. Good lord, this fucking microphone. That's how we know when to stop when your audio yeah. stops working. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Goodnight.